So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can either click to, turn to First uh, Peter. I'm sorry, Second Peter, uh, chapter. I'll get this right in a second. It's the zip fizz has not kicked in yet. So First uh, Peter chapter two verse four. That's where we are this morning. First Peter chapter two verse four. So you can either click to, turn to there. If you, if not, the the the, the verses are going to come up on the side screen as we walk through this. And so, so several weeks ago, I started a series called Great Expectations, where we began walking verse by verse through the the book of First Peter. And so we've entitled this, this series, Great Expectations, that Simon Peter had great expectations for the, the first hearers of this, the first century Christians, and he has great expectations for us as well. And then I've titled this message, Who God Says I Am. Now listen, depending on your, your spiritual background and maybe depending on a church that you came out of, uh, if it was a church of kind of some judgment and some other things, then when you get to this and you, you ask this question, who does God say I am, then all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you can hear some of the voices maybe of your past, that God never said anything really good about me, or, or God was a God of judgment, or God was a God that you could never like please. And so this morning, I want to take you through the scriptures, and I want, you to help, I want to help you understand this issue of who God says I am. Simon Peter, for him and for this, his first hearers, this was so critically important. It's a criti- critically important for them to understand, but it's also equally as important for us to understand just this issue of who does God say we are? Who does God say I am? See, what's happening in First Peter is simply this, is these New Testament believers are going through huge persecution. The government has turned against them. The government is trying to wipe out all Bible-believing Christians. And, and as a result of that, I mean, Nero, he's like in charge. And, and so it's wheels off of persecution and, and dragging Christians out of their home. They're feeding them to the lions. They're, 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 they're martyring the Christians as, as, a, as a form of, of entertainment. And so it's, it's like wheels off. And so Simon Peter begins speaking into this congregation to to encourage them. Now, one of the difficulties a lot of times we have in interpreting Scripture, especially like, like a letter written in First Peter is this, is it's written to a group of Christians that are suffering. As Americans, we really don't know what that means. As Americans, you know what? If we suffer, we think something's wrong. Uh, if we go through suffering, if we go through difficulty, and if we go through suffering, if we go through difficulty, we'll do anything and everything we can to get out from under it. I mean, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do all sorts of different things because we just view this issue of suffering as not good. And, but the Scripture says that sometimes God carries us through suffering for our good. And so in chapter 1, where we've been in 1 Peter, uh, Simon Peter begins writing about what God has done for you. In chapter 2, he begins talking about what God says about you. So as we just walk through this this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, I'm going to read all the way through 10, and I'm going to give you four, four principles. And so here, here's what the scripture says. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, that that cornerstone that's important, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. So we know this. The Bible to the world can be offensive. 
The gospel can be offensive. That's what he's saying. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you, (coughs) you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, so Simon Peter, chapter 1, begins saying, this is what God has done for you. Chapter 2, he starts saying, this is who God says you are. This is what God says about you. And he mentions five different, <coughs> excuse me, he mentions five different characteristics, five different t- titles, five different analogies, if you will, or five different statements. He says, you're, you're, you're a chosen people. Uh, you're a people that are belonging to God. Uh, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Uh, once, once you did not receive mercy, but now you receive mercy. And in verse 7, he, he uses this word, and he says, a cornerstone. He says, and, and so, so this, this foundation block, this building block. So the question to you this morning is, and it's a personal question. You don't need to answer it out loud. Who is your cornerstone? Or what is your cornerstone? What is your, what is your foundation of life? I mean, and, and so, so I know this is church, right? And so we all know that if whenever we're asked a church question, then if we just say Jesus, we'll get it right about 90% of the time. And so I get it. I understand. Jesus is the answer, right? I mean, that, that's, Jesus is the answer. Jesus should be your, but I'm not asking what should be your cornerstone. I'm asking this morning, it's a huge deal, and I'll tell you why in a second, but it's a huge deal for, a, for you and I to answer, who is your cornerstone, or what is your cornerstone? In other words, this may be another way to understand that or answer this question. When the bottom drops out of your world, who do you run to? What do you run to? Maybe another way, what gives you self-worth? What boosts your self-image? What makes you feel good about yourself? This issue of cornerstone is, is foundational for us to understand. It was foundational for them to understand, especially with what they were about ready to walk through. In other words, who is, who is your cornerstone? See, for some, some would simply say this. You know what? My, my cornerstone is like an addiction. My cornerstone is like something just like to numb the pain. When the bottom drops out, when I get stressed, those are the things that I walk through, go back to. In other words, that's a cornerstone for me. And some people say, you know, it's my possessions. It's the things that I have. It's the things that I own. And those things make me feel like I have some self-worth. I have some, some meaning. And so for other people, it's like this issue of popularity. It's this issue for them. Their cornerstone is this issue of popularity. It's what people say about me. It's how many Facebook followers or Twitter followers and how many likes and, and all of those things. How, how, what people say about me. Because I'm telling you, when people don't say something good about me, it like wrecks my life. And for others of you, it may be your clothes. For others, it may be your, your, your looks. It may be an education. It may be something that gives you self-worth or self-image. See, for us to understand that, it means everything. Simon Peter is pushing them in to determine. You've got to determine what your cornerstone is. Now, listen, this is very personal. And I really debated about telling this story, even talking about this. Um, and so I, I tried it out on the 5 o'clock folks, and it kind of went okay. And so I did it for the 6.30 folks, and so, we'll, uh, so here we go again. And let me, let me tell you this. This is very personal, but, but many years ago, if you had a told me or asked me, Charlie, what is your cornerstone? I would have said Jesus, because that, that's a church answer. That's what you're supposed to say, right? And I would have said Jesus, but, 
But then I went through a, then when I went through a difficult time. Sometimes it's difficult times in life that helps us to understand who our cornerstone is. We'll replace that. You know what I learned? You know what I learned in ministry? My cornerstone became church growth. I confused what I did for a living as to who I was. And after 20 years of church growth, and I mean, we're setting all kinds of records, 10 and 20% growth every year, and magazines are writing articles about us, and we were getting awards, one of the top 100 fastest growing churches in the U.S., and here we are in Pueblo, Colorado, and, and just year after year after year, and then we went through a season where we did not grow. Fact is, we kind of declined. And I started wondering, does God love me the same? When the church is not growing as it is when it's growing? Is it based upon my performance? Listen, I'm telling you, I had to wrestle this to the ground. And it took a year. It took a year to wrestle and to struggle and to, to take this to the ground. Listen, I, I am not asking you to do anything that I've never done. I, I ask you to serve because I serve. I ask you to give because I give. I ask you to live a sacrificial life because we live sacrificial life. I ask you to love your neighbor as yourself because the very best of our ability, we try to love our neighbor as ourselves. I, when, I, when I preach a message to you, it is not theory to me. It is something that I have wrestled to the ground. It is something that I have struggled with. And so my preaching comes out of a burden. And so I'm just telling you that it is possible in life to be, a, to be a follower of Christ, and you get to that place where all of a sudden you shift your cornerstone from him to something else, something that gives you value, something that gives you worth, to where you feel like because I do this, because I accomplish this, that God loves me a little bit more. In other words, it, you turn it into performance. So with the minutes that I have left, I just, I just want to give you four things because I think this is so important. It's so foundational of our faith. And this message is going to seem very, very simple. Please, it is not simple. This is not a simple message. Some of the illustrations may be, some of the things we talk about, but this is very important for every one of us to understand. So I want to give you four things. The first one is this. It's just statements that Simon Peter said. The first one is this. It's just something as followers of Christ that we can say, I am accepted. I am accepted, not because of my performance, but because of what he has done for me. There's something about life. There's something about people. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have noticed this. There are some people that will spend their entire lives trying to earn acceptance, just trying to feel good about themselves. I mean, they, they want to earn it from, from, from their parents, or they want to earn it from their peers, or they want to earn it from partners in life or husbands and wives and uh, from, people that, from people that they respect. Here's the crazy thing about this issue of acceptance. They even want to try to earn it from people that they envy. They even want to try to earn it from people that they don't even like. That maybe if that person says I'm okay, maybe if that person respects me, maybe then that I will feel there are some people that will live their entire life trying to find acceptance in this world. I'm reminded of a story as a man that was in our church a number of years ago and uh, he retired in Pueblo, and I mean, he retired, and then he moved uh, to another state, and he's now deceased. And and uh, we were just we were just talking one day, and and this man, if I told you what he did for a living, everyone in this room would say, you know what, that man's successful by worldly standards. That man's successful. I mean, he retired, and he retired, and he was doing really well, and he had a a, a comfortable retirement. And so, all, all of us, if I told you who he was, if I told you what he did for a living, you would say, you know what. 
that guy made it. That guy was, I mean, that guy should have felt good about himself. And so, so one day we're visiting, and I asked him about his job or something like that as he was getting ready to retire. And he looked at me, and he got angry, and he says, oh, I hate what I do. I go, what? He goes, I hate what I do. I've hated my job every day of my life. And by the way, I hate my mother. And I go, well, that's odd, tying those two together. <laughs> what is up with that? And he goes, oh, you don't understand. I never could please my mom. I never could get, get acceptance. I get a C, she wants a B. I get a B, she wants an A. I get an A, she wants an A+. I get an A+, she wants extra credit. I never, I never could get her acceptance. I never, and so I'm in high school, and I'm about ready to head into college, and I noticed that my mom, my mom admired this profession. My mom admired the men and women that were in this profession, and I thought, you know what? Maybe if I get that degree, maybe if I get that job, then my mom will accept me. I got that degree. I got that job. I did really, really well, and you know what? My mom still didn't accept me. I hate her. All I ever wanted to do was to accept me. And because of her and me trying to get her acceptance, I took a job that I hate every day of my life. There's people. Listen, I'm telling you, there are people that have tried to spend their entire life just simply trying to find acceptance. I mean, acceptance and trying to find acceptance, it can influence everything in your life. It can influence the clothes you wear, the cars you drive, the home you buy, the career you choose, um, the, the way you carry yourselves. I mean, wouldn't you, t wouldn't you, don't answer this out loud, but wouldn't you agree with me? Some people do the craziest things trying to gain acceptance. I mean, remember, men, remember back in, 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 in high school and, well, probably even still now, we just never grow up. Men never mature past the age, past like the ninth grade, right? We're still laughing at the same dumb jokes we laughed at in the ninth grade. And so, anyway, that's a whole nother story. But remember in school when someone would like dare you to do something and then double dog dare you to do something and trying to get acceptance of your peer, you would, you would risk personal safety just trying to gain acceptance. There are some people that would do anything to get this issue of acceptance. And, and so we love that feeling, right? We love that feeling and feel like, you know what, we're okay or someone's chosen us or we're, we're acceptable. I mean, remember, remember back in, in playing sports in, on like the schoolyard or a sandlot in your, your, your neighborhood, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, volleyball, does not matter. And all of a sudden, you're, you're going to divide up in teams. And the way that usually went down, the two best players got to choose right. Um, and so they would start choosing teams and you're standing in line. What is the worst thing? You just want to be chosen, right? You do not want to be the last person standing. You do not want to be the person where it's just you and another person, and they say, you know what, I'll take Susie, you can have Charlie. You do not, listen, you do not want to be that person, right? Because this issue of acceptance, we want to have this feeling of acceptance. We want to have this feeling that someone has accepted us. And, but, but here's what Simon Peter tells them, trying to help them understand, because, see, they're going to be rejected. They're going to be rejected by the government. And listen, let me tell you something. Christianity does not need the government to approve of us. The church, the local church, fact is the local church flourished the best when the, when the government, 
was trying to wipe them out. We find it right here. We find evidence of that. And so all of a sudden, Simon Peter is trying to help them understand you can't get your feeling of acceptance from a government, from a person, from, from a mom, for a dad, or any of that. You, the cornerstone, the cornerstone for freedom is like, is like Christ. And as a result of that, he makes his statement. He says, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. In other words, that ought to boost your, your self-esteem that he has chosen you. It is not based upon your acceptance. Or your, it is not based upon your performance. It is not based upon something that you've earned. You, listen, you'll never discern it, deserve it. God says that I just simply have chosen you. Before the foundations of the world were laid, I chose you. Many have received Jesus Christ and accepted him. And they would consider themselves Christ's followers. And you've never realized that he has accepted you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it yourself. You don't have an unpleasable God up there in heaven that says you've got to be a good girl, you've got to be a good boy to be accepted. The scripture says he has already accepted you. Watch this. Here's, here's a verse that meant a great deal to me. Uh, uh, Proverbs, or Psalms 27.10, here's what the scripture says. He says, my, my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I, I memorized this many years ago, but I memorized it in the, the, the New International Version and that, that actually says this, is even though my mother and father have rejected me, I, the Lord, am ready to receive you. If you're still trying to get acceptance from a parent, I want to just tell you two things. If you haven't gotten it by now, in all likelihood, you'll never get it. If you haven't gotten it by now, in all likelihood, you will never give it but, or get it because it is not your problem. It is their problem. And the second thing is this. You don't need it to be happy. There are over 6 billion people in the world. If there are two people who do not like you, you can move on without it. So the first thing that Simon Peter says is this issue of acceptance. The second thing is this. It's just a statement. I belong to him. I am not only accepted, but guess what? I, I belong to him. Uh, he, he, he makes this statement. Basically, he's telling us that, that we, we have value, that we're valuable, and that we're not only accepted, but, but we're, we're valuable. And so if you just, you just kind of think through this with me, how, how much do you think you're worth? I mean, I'm not talking about your net worth. I'm talking about your self-worth. I'm, I'm not talking about your net worth to where, where you, you take a calculator out and, and you start adding up your savings account and your, your checking account and your, your stock portfolio, retirement, your house and cars and possessions, and, and then you come up with a number. I am not talking about your net worth. I am talking about your self-worth. See, never confuse your valuables with your value as a person. I've been in some of the poorest places of our world and you could be rich or poor and still have value. It is not dependent upon your, your, your net worth. And so I'm asking you about, about, about your value and what is your self-worth because there, there's a couple things that terms value, right? If you, go to a <coughs> if you go to an appraiser and you ask an appraiser how do you determine value of something, it really depends on a couple of things. One is it depends on how much someone's willing to pay for it, how much is your house worth, 
however much someone is willing to pay you for it, right? How much is your car worth? However so much is willing to pay for it. How much is a baseball card worth? To some, is worth absolutely nothing. Others, it's worth a lot of money. It's worth however so much someone is willing to pay for it. How much is a piece of art worth? However, so much, however much someone is willing to pay for it. And so one, it depends on how much someone's willing to pay for it. The second thing is this. It depends sometimes who owned it in the past, right? I mean, for instance, a car driven by Elvis Presley or owned by Elvis Presley more than likely is going to be worth more than your car, regardless of what kind of car you have. Why? Because of he owned it. It's because of someone who owned it in the past. A guitar by jo- that's owned by John Lennon is going to be worth more than, than any other guitar in the world. I read an article here a while back about a pair of, st- I mean, they were stinky, smelly, worn out pair of Nike tennis shoes that were auctioned off for well over $20,000. And they they went for $20,000 because some guy by the name of Michael Jordan owned them in the past. It depends who owned them in the past. So based upon these two things, what is someone willing to pay for it? Who owned it in the past? Now how much are you worth? Who owns you? And how much do they pay for it? And Simon Peter says, you have been bought and paid for by Christ. He says, you you belong. You belong to him. And as a result of that, that gives you value. In fact, that's the statement that Simon Peter made. He says, "You, you belong to God. In other words, God exchanged his own son for you. Jesus Christ went to the cross on your behalf, took on sin, Our sin, he who knew no sin became sin for us, went to the cross and died for us. And so that we could have value, we could have worth, so that we could be a child of God, so that we could be his. And that's why Simon Peter says, and he reminded us, he said, you're you're a child of God. In other words, that's how much you're worth. That's how much he paid for you. The cross is 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 a symbol. The cross is a picture that you have value, that you have worth. And Simon Peter begins using this illustration about building a spiritual house and, and living stones and, and building stones together. And he's talking about this building project and that, that we're a part of it. And he's building his stone, building a church, and it represents the church. It's, a, it's the family of God in these stones. And in verse 4, he says, as you come to him, a living stone. In other words, it says, as you come to him, he's talking about as you continually come to him. It's what we did a little bit earlier with praise as you come to Jesus and in worship and in praise and in prayer as you come to him. He's saying that as New Testament believers, we have, we have privileges that only in the Old Testament, only the priest had, that we could go directly to him. He's saying that we have this privilege, and he says, he uses his term, the living stone. Who's the living stone? Jesus is a living stone, and he's perfect. But look at this, verse 4, watch this, because I just want you to see this is, this, this is for free this morning, because I want to help you with this. I want to go back to the acceptance things, right? Because there's a false belief about this issue of acceptance. It's a false belief that my buddy had that I, used, that I talked about a little bit earlier. But watch it here, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone. So the living stone is who? The living stone is Jesus. Rejected by men. Jesus lived a perfect life, right? Jesus was perfect, and yet some still rejected him. There's a false belief out there that says, you know what? If I can live just enough of a perfect life, he will accept me. She will accept me. 
they will accept me. If I, if I could just, it's performance. And if I could just do enough good things and if I can just live a perfect enough life, then finally I'm going to get their acceptance. Listen, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. And there were some that rejected him. There were some that did not accept him. So put that verse back up. We'll read 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen. He's talking about you, chosen and precious. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying is this. He said, guess what? God is building his church, and the foundation is a cornerstone. The foundation is Jesus Christ. He is, he is the purpose of what we do. I mean, the foundation in your life and the foundation in my life determines everything. This room once was, was two rooms. It was once two theaters. And so we wanted to take out this load-bearing wall and take two rooms and turn them into one room. And we asked the ar architects if we could do that. And they said, well, we'll have to check. We'll have to check on the foundation because if the foundation will not support the, the support beams, then we cannot do that. And they came in, looked at the foundation, determined that it couldn't do it. So they had to come in, and they had to strengthen the foundation before we could take out the load-bearing wall. A foundation of any structure determines the height of the structure. And the same is true in your life. In other words, your foundation and my foundation is important in life. And Jesus and Simon Peter comes along and says, you're a, you're a living stone. And remember, he, he's made this, this illustration all the way through. Something that's, li something that's dead had turned into something that's living. And so we don't often look at as stones as living, right? And so all of a sudden, he comes in and says, you're a living stone. I mean, it's a contradiction in terms, right? Like jumbo shrimp or, uh, wait for it, you'll get it. Hot ice. You got, okay, we're going to serve you guys coffee and we're going to try this again. <laughs> or maybe you need zip fizz. I don't know. It's a contradiction in terms. We'll, tr we'll, we'll try it one more time. It's like government efficiency, okay? <laughs> Political ethics, okay? I'll stop. I will stop right there. And so, so he's still, I may not have should have said that, but. And so what he says is so when, when, when Christ comes into your life that you become this building block in God's plan and you become a living stone. Oh, and if you have an advanced degree, you can become Dr. Livingstone. So I will quit. So here's the third one, okay? So here's the third one. Here's the third statement. I am a minister. I am a minister. He uses the term and he says you're a royal priest. In other words, God says, listen, for some of you, the background that you came out of, the church that you may have come out before Fellowship of the Rockies, this may be a scary term and it may like totally freak you out. But here's what he said. He says, you're a priest. Go, Wait a minute. I thought a priest was like reserved for these guys that were like super spiritual or had done a bunch of stuff. And, and now what? You're telling me I'm a priest? That's what I'm not telling you that. That's what Simon Peter's telling you. Simon Peter is telling you, guess what? You're not just any priest. You're a royal priest. And so God says that there were priests. Let's see, the Old Testament, if you go back to the Old Testament, the, 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 the priest <coughs> did a couple of things. They had the right and the privilege of, and responsibility to go directly to God. In other words, only the priest in the Old Testament. Only the priest could to pray. And remember, just, just track with me. 
This is Old Testament theology. I'm telling you for a second. I want to show you what it did in the New Testament, what creed death. So in the Old Testament, only the priests had direct access to God. In the Old Testament, only the priests could pray directly to God. In the Old Testament, only the priests could worship and fellowship. In other words, this, in the Old Testament, everybody else had to go through a priest to God. Everybody else had to pray to a priest or confess to a priest or, or worship through a priest. See, that's Old Testament theology. And the other thing in the Old Testament about a priest, a priest had privilege and responsibility of representing God uh, to the people and ministering or serving the needs of the people. In other words, this, as, as a New Testament believer, I mean, that the veil has been torn, right? In the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, there was a veil that was torn in the Holy of Holies in the temple. It was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies. And so the Holy of Holies was a place where the Spirit of God was. And they had this curtain. And so only once a year, the priest would go behind the curtain. And they would go and they would access God and have direct access to God. They only did that once a year. When Jesus Christ was, super, was, was crucified, then the, the veil, 70 feet top to, to bottom of that curtain, was torn in half, and it signified that now, guess what? Now, all believers in Christ have direct access to God. So now you have direct access to God. You don't need to go through anyone else to pray to him. You don't need any, anyone else to, to go to anyone else to confess your sins, to worship. You, you have direct access. The word priest comes from a Latin word just simply means this, bridge. It just means to build a bridge. It means to build a bridge from, from people to God. And so the scripture says that you have, been, you have been gifted in ministry. In other words, you were saved to serve. In other words, we're, we're part of living stones. We're the building block of the church. And as a result of that, we find our gifts. We find our abilities. We find how God has shaped us and God has wired us. And we begin serving the body. And I'm telling you, if, if you were here only to receive something, then you've missed half the church. The meaning of church is to receive and to minister, to receive and to be a part of the body, to receive and to serve one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, support one another. The last thing is, is this, is, is the statement is, is I am forgiven. Simon Peter at the end says, you once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I'm so burdened about this, this statement. It's just as important as the others because, there, listen, there are so many Christians that don't understand that they have been accepted by him, understand that they have been chosen, they have value, and they belong to him. They don't understand, like, the importance of just coming into the body and we're a family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ and what it means just to serve one another, what it means to come into community with one another, just the power of that. But then all of a sudden we get down to this and Simon Peter says, hey, you're, you're, you're forgiven. And there, there's some believers that I know, maybe you know some believers, probably not you, but you know some believers, that you have this, you have this sin of the past. And for you it's like, a, it's like a big one, it's like a big sin, not to God, but it's to you. It's just this big sin. And you don't feel forgiven. You don't feel like God has forgiven you. Even though you've asked for forgiveness over and over and over, even though that's not who you are anymore, even though you have walked a different direction, that is not who you are any longer. But yet you, you come to church and you, you, still, you still feel this condemnation. You still feel this guilt. Can I just tell you, that guilt, that condemnation does not come from God. It comes from the evil one. 
And there are so many believers that feel like I am not totally forgiven. I'm still trying to earn his forgiveness. In Isaiah 43, 25, the scripture is going to come up on the, on the screen. And it, it, and it says this. It says it's just a powerful statement. I'm explaining it. It says, I, I am, am he, he's talking about God. I am he who blots out your transgressions. That's another way for sin. We go through and talk about the difference of sins and transgressions. That's a, that's a deeper one. And he says, I am, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You may remember them. He doesn't. And so that, that's really interesting to me that he says he's the one that will blot out your sins. I don't know if you've ever, like, spilled something on the couch in the new material that we have. Um, my, my wife was away from the house, and I'm, like, watching football, and I spilled something on the couch that I was not supposed to spill on the couch. I mean, in other words, it stains. So I quickly asked the Google what to do, you know, to get the stain out. You know what the Google told me, and you probably already know this, but I just learned this, that there are some stains, some fabrics that you want to blot out and not rub in. There's some fabrics that, you know what, you know what happens? If you take, if you take a piece of cloth and you spill something on a piece of fabric and then you, you, try to, you try to rub it in, you know what the Google will tell you? If you do that, you will set the stain in and it will be there for like forever, um, forever. And so it says, do not rub it in. You know what you have to do? You have to blot it out. You have to blot it out. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful. <laughs> I am thankful for the Google, but I am also so thankful that I blotted it out and I didn't rub it in. But aren't you thankful that you have a God in heaven that does not rub your sins in? He blots them out. God, God is not carrying a, God does not hold a grudge. God does not hold a grudge. And so where you feel like I, God has not forgiven me of this sin, and so every time I get a flat or the refrigerator breaks or the air conditioner system doesn't work or, or we have a problem, oh, God's getting even with me for that sin of the past. God does not hold a grudge. God does not rub your sins in to set the stain in. You know what God does? God blots them out. You know where he blotted them out? On the cross by his blood. And so what Simon Peter is helping them to understand is just simply this. Because I'm a believer, because I'm a follower of Christ, I am totally and completely forgiven. I am deeply loved by him. I am perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I'm acceptable. I'm valuable. I'm capable. I am loved. And when he is my cornerstone... And when I realize that, you know when freedom comes in the Christian life? When you get that. When you only need acceptance from him. When you only need approval from him. When you only need your foundation for him. That's freedom in life. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?